0: Amen. Praise the Lord. I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 this evening. I don't really have a message uh, but I do have some things that are stirring around, rolling around in my heart. So I want to share those things with you this evening as it uh, seems good to me in the Holy Ghost. Second Corinthians chapter 5 notice verse 7. Paul says, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Notice he's speaking by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost and creating a contrast, showing us the contrast between what walking by faith is and walking according to what we can see and feel. Let's back up to chapter 4, verse 13. Paul is talking about some of the afflictions that he's experienced as well as uh, those that he knows that um, the church at Corinth is undergoing. He said, we having the same spirit of faith. According it is, as it is written, I believed and therefore have I spoken. We also also believe and therefore speak. Now the same spirit of faith he's talking about is the same spirit of faith as with God himself. Knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise us up also by Jesus. And shall present us with you for all things are for your sakes. That the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. For which cause we faint not. He's talking about something being a strengthening agent. Understanding how these things work. Understanding that the work of God, the word of God is at work when we speak it from our hearts. Even when it doesn't look like anything's taking place. For which cause we faint not. But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment. Worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen. But the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal. The word temporal means subject to change. So the things that, which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Now the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 3 that we understand by faith the worlds were created and framed by the word of God. That means the things that are not seen, words that you can't see, are more powerful and are the source of the creation of everything that we can see. Now, since the word created the, the scene realm, the physical realm, we know that the word has to be stronger. It has, has to be more powerful. And when we understand those things, then it helps us to stay steady when the things that we see contradict everything that we believe and oftentimes speak. There's a, um, um, you remember the story in the Old Testament of Esther, how that she gained favor with the, the king. He had a, a nationwide beauty contest and she won. And so he took her for his wife. And uh, the Bible goes into great detail talking about the grace and the, the character of, of this uh, young lady. And, um, uh, and it comes to the place where someone is plotting against the, the people of Israel. And her uncle, Esther's uncle, comes to, the, to her and explains what's going on. And he makes a statement. I'm not sure if I've got it exactly right. But he makes a statement something to this effect. Could it be that you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this? In other words, he's letting her know that God has put her in a position at that point in time to save or to spare the people of Israel because of the forces that are working against them, the plots that are uh, underway to destroy Israel. And so he says again, Or if I've got it correctly, I I think I'm pretty close on it. He said, "Who who can tell if you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Folks, there are things that we're made for. There are things that we're made for. And if we're not ready to handle those times and those situations that we've been made for, it can alter greatly the course of our lives. uh, If you were here with us this morning, I mentioned this a little bit, and I don't know why all of a sudden the Lord has got me focused on this, but, well, you decide for yourself. You remember in Numbers chapter 13, it talks about the 12 spies going out, going into the promised land to spy out the the land that God said was a land that flowed with milk and honey. The 12 spies come back and everybody agrees that it was the land that God said that it was. It was a, a beautiful and bountiful land. But 10 of the 12 spies said that they couldn't, that we, the nation of Israel, can't take the land because the people are stronger than us. Now it's only been about two and a half years, uh, most Bible scholars estimate, the time between God delivering I- Israel from Egypt, coming through the Red Sea on dry land, two and a half years later, they've received the law of Moses and they're at the edge of the promised land and in those two and a half years they've made some terrible mistakes you remember that they went through the golden calf incident when Moses was up on top of Mount Sinai receiving the law the ten commandments, the tables of stone but God forgave them but they don't remember the power of God or if they remember it they're not putting any stock in it when God delivered them from Egypt, who was much stronger, much bigger, much more powerful than any of the enemies or the the people in the land of, uh, the promised land that God had given to them or directed them to. And so 10 of these 12 spies come back and say, we can't do it. We can't do it. This became a pivotal point in Israel's history. But even more than that, Stop and think about the impact that it had on these 12, 12 guys, 10 of them that were operating in unbelief. It altered the course for their lives individually. We don't talk a whole lot about the story after the 10 spies came back and talked about uh, how that they were unable to do it. But the Bible goes into to some specific information, gives us specific information about those 10 spies, the ones that convinced the rest of the congregation of Israel It says after everything was said and done before that day was ended. It said that those ten spies died, were consumed, and destroyed by the power of God. God called it temptation. He talks about, and the Bible refers to it even further as an example unto us. It talks about God being tempted ten times. Well, the ten times refers to the ten spies who refused to believe. Who refused to accept what God had said about the promised land and about Him being with them and delivering them, delivering their enemies into their hands. Now, the rest of the congregation is not dependent on and is certainly not obligated to take the side of the ten spots. They could have believed anything they wanted to. Caleb and Joshua are very vocal and outspoken, saying, Hey, the land is good, just like everybody else says. But God's on our side. Don't rebel against God because he's on our side. He'll bring us into this land. This is the land that he brought us to to begin with. This is the whole reason that he delivered us from Egypt. He wants us to have this land. They could have believed that just as easily as they believed the ten spies. They could have believed that they could take the land with God's help and because God was with them just as easily as they believed that they couldn't. And the Bible says that the congregation lifted up their voice unto God and wept because they sided in with the ten from that point their lives are totally and radically altered God says to them he establishes the eternal and never changing law he says tell Israel tell the people as you have spoken in my ears so shall I do unto you now they had already said When they sided in with the ten who said that they couldn't take the land, they had already declared that it would be better for them to have died in the wilderness. And they were feeling sorry for themselves and speaking lies against God, saying God brought us out here to kill us into the wilderness. And remember, God said that they would get exactly what they said. So from the point in time that they turn away from God, turn away from God's help, turn away from God's word and his promise, Their lives become 40 years of wandering in the wilderness until they die. That's it. That's the course of their lives. So whatever they were born unto, and what they were born unto was victory. No matter the fact that God had promised them the land, and that land was theirs. By the words of their mouth, they forfeited What God had promised to give them and their part in God's plan for their lives. What do you do when you know that your life plan is to wander around in the wilderness for 40 years and then die? Folks, God's already said, I'll do what they said. Those are the words that they spoke. And God speaks and says this whole generation shall die in the wilderness but I'll bring their children in. They made a big deal about saying their children were, would be a prey for their enemies in the promised land. But God said I'll bring their children in to defeat those enemies. They won't be a prey. They'll be the, the conquerors of the promised land. So their, their parents, that, that uh, present generation, the older generation, their purpose changes from victory... Their purpose changes from possessors of God, the blessings of God, to people that will wander for 40 years and then die. Let's look at or remember some of the other times where people came to pivotal points in their lives. You remember in Luke chapter 1 it tells us the story about Gabriel that appears to Mary. Well, let's look at it rather than just refer to it. Let's let's look at it. Turn with me to Luke chapter 1. I think we do ourselves a disservice sometimes by quoting verses or referring to them without reading them ourselves. Let's pick up the, the, um, the story in verse 26. It said, In the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God into a city of Galilee, uh, Galilee called Nazareth. To a virgin espoused a to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son. And shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then Mary said unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? Now, folks, she's not operating in unbelief here. She's not saying, Oh, no, 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 this is not going to happen. I'm, I must be hallucinating. She just simply asks, How? She said, how can this thing be? Seeing I know not a man. And the angel answered her and said, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she has also conceived a son in her old age. She's pregnant with John the Baptist, their cousins apparently. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. I like this um, in the original Greek. It says it this way. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. It literally says, God is able to make good every, his every declaration. I like that. God is able to make good his every declaration. And so Mary said, here's her big moment, folks. Mary said, behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. She was ready for her pivotal point, her big moment, if you will. She was ready. You remember in uh, John chapter 20, it tells us about how that Jesus appeared to the disciples after his resurrection, or appeared to to let them know that he was resurrected. And he breathes on them and he says, "Receive the Holy Ghost." And, and whosoever sins, you remit or reta- remitted unto them. Whosoever sins, you retain or retained. This is the point where they were born again. But the Bible tells us that Thomas wasn't with them. You remember the story. Thomas is told by the others that Jesus is alive, and Thomas's response is that unless I can see the print of the nails in his hands. And can't put my hand inside the the wound in his side, I will not believe. Now, he doesn't say you can't believe, it says he will not. It's an act of his will, it's a choice. And so, sometime later, Jesus appears unto the disciples again, and Thomas is there that time. And Jesus says to him, Behold my hands. He said, Put your hands in the print of the nail, your fingers in the print of the nail. And he said, Thrust your hand into my side and be not faithless, but believing. Now, folks, you know as well as I do that with all the things that Thomas did and and, uh, historical evidence, historical documents in the early days of the church are there to let us know that Thomas became an outstanding minister. He was killed for his faith. There were some great things that Thomas did in the the place where God sent him to minister and sent him to go. But you know as well as I do that he never shook that, that name, Doubting Thomas. And it seems like the pivotal points in our lives come without fanfare. The pivotal points in our lives oftentimes appear. And we don't know that it's so pivotal or we don't know that it's so important. One of the important places in Peter's life was in Luke chapter 5. Turn with me over there to Luke chapter 5. Let's see what what Peter did. Beginning in verse 1, it came to pass... That the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God. And he stood by the lake of Genesaret, And he saw two ships standing by the lake. But the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships which was Simon's. Talking about Peter. And prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. And when he had left speaking he said unto Simon. Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a drought or for a catch of fish. And Simon answered unto him, saying, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their nets break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. Folks, this is a big catch. This is the biggest catch they've ever experienced in all probability. Then Simon Peter, when he saw it, fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him at the drought of the catch of the fish which they had taken. And so also was James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. Folks, this was a pivotal point in Peter's life. It altered the course of his life. Now, Peter is faced with a situation where the the physical evidence or his natural knowledge about fishing goes completely contrary to what Jesus directs him to do. Nobody fishes during the daytime, and the reason that they don't is because the fish can see the net. That's why the fishing is done at night. And you remember in the, the story it says that when Jesus first got there, these guys were washing their nets because they had been fishing all night. Peter says so. They'd been fishing all night long and hadn't caught anything. And so here's Jesus, who certainly is not a fisherman, giving Peter instruction about how to catch fish. And Peter, after having heard Jesus teach, it doesn't tell us what he taught, doesn't tell us what impact it had on Peter, but there was something that Peter must have heard during the time that Jesus was preaching or teaching from his his boat that caused him to put faith in Jesus and do what Jesus said. We don't know what that would be. I doubt very seriously if it was anything about catching fish. And Peter recognizes when Jesus says to him to launch out into the deeper water and let down the nets for a catch of fish. He recognizes that this is contrary to all good fishing protocol. But notice the word nevertheless. Nevertheless, at thy word, I'll let down the nets. And they wound up having the biggest catch of fish that they'd ever had they had got to catch a fish that was on the verge of sinking both ships and it caused Peter to recognize that Jesus had something to do with righteousness and holiness because Peter's response is depart from me for I am a sinful man but it was the single event that caused Jesus to pick Peter to alter the course of his life And to become one of the greatest pillars of the early church. We see the same thing in Abraham's life. Abraham, uh, the Bible gives us more information about Abraham, so we understand that God kind of led him along. He learned to have faith in God over the years. God first appeared unto Abraham when he was 75 years old and promised that his blessing would be upon him, that God's blessing would be upon him and, and his family, that he would have children, and that he would make him a blessing. Now, the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 10 that the blessing of the Lord makes rich and he adds no sorrow to it. Well, that's exactly what happened in Abraham's life. God made him rich. It says Abraham became very rich in silver and cattle and gold. But year after year goes by and he hasn't had any children. And so by the time he gets to be about 100 years old, God appears to him again and reminds him of the promise of children. Well, by then Abraham's given up. He laughs when God says something to him about it because he must have been looking at the condition of his body he must have recognized that his both his body and Sarah's body were dead when it comes to the reproductive work of the flesh he realizes that they passed their childbearing years and so their bodies are now dead to having children and folks that's exactly where God wanted him to be God wanted him to be in the place where there was nothing that he could look at in the natural realm. No evidence, no physical re- evidence, no physical strength, no conditions or circumstances of his flesh that he could have possibly thought, well, maybe it was just that that brought our children. God was waiting all this time, these 25 years that Abraham was thinking that the promise of God wasn't working and God was waiting until just the right time when it would have been impossible any other way except God. Now think about that for a minute. God wanted Abraham to be in a place where everything from the physical realm, everything that he could see, everything he could feel, said that his body could not bear children. Same thing with Sarah. Because God wanted him to know, and he wanted it to be a sign for all of Israel, that it was God and only God that was able to bring that to pass. So what did he do? Well, the Bible says in Romans chapter 4, he became an imitator of God, who quickens the dead and calls those things which be not as though they were. What was his position to take? Well, he didn't understand right at the first, but God instructed him over the next several months. God instructed him to begin to call his body alive, to begin to call himself the father of a multitude. And that's exactly how it came to pass. If he had stopped at any point along the way and looked at his body and said, yeah, but my body hadn't changed. My body and Sarah's body is too old to produce any results when it comes to having children. But that's not what he did. He began to say what God said. He began to call himself what God called him. You remember at that point, that's when God changed his name from Abram to Abraham. Abraham. So now every time he refers to himself, every time he thinks of himself according to the new name that God gave him, he's thinking that he's the father of a multitude. He's saying that he's the father of a multitude. And that in itself becomes the pivotal point in his life where he becomes the father of faith to all of us. What were you made for? It seems to me that there have been a couple of things that I can identify, a couple of points in time that I can identify that, uh, that were pivotal points for me. One was going to Rama, going to Tulsa from Alabama, Birmingham, Alabama, to go to Bible school. Another was to come here to start this church. But then the most recent one, it seems to me that for the last eight years I've been apprenticing Healing, the healing power of God. I've seen a lot of things change, not nearly as fast as I wanted them to change. But there were things that even early on, somehow or another, and I wouldn't have admitted it at the time because it's not the way I wanted it to go. But early on, I realized just from my heart, nothing that, that God spoke to me about, but just on the inside of me, I had a witness That this was not going to be a quick thing. It was not going to be something where God's hand was extended toward me. And all of a sudden the symptoms departed. I knew I was in for the long haul. I had no idea how long the haul was. And it's been much longer than I would have expected. And certainly longer than I wanted it to be. But folks I can tell you of a certainty. That this is one of the things that I was made for. Because this apprenticeship, and I, I don't know, it's not really a word that the Lord gave me, but it's something that I know has come from my heart just recently. I know this apprenticeship is going to wind up being a great blessing for a lot of people. It's going to be something, well, even as, uh, as the disciples prayed after they were threatened by the Jews not to preach or teach anymore in the name of Jesus. One of the things they prayed for in Acts chapter 4 was, Lord, grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth your hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done in the name of thy holy child Jesus. I believe with all of my heart that this apprenticeship concerning healing will result in God stretching forth his hand to heal. I believe we'll see signs and wonders done in the name of Jesus. It's one of the things that I believe I was made for. What about you? What are the pivotal points in your life? David said this in the Psalms. He said, I've hidden thy word in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Well, we know that doubt and unbelief is sin. So I've kind of adapted that a little bit to say it this way. Lord, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might trust in thee. See, we were all made to believe God. When we were made in the image of God, the image and likeness of God, we were all made to believe and to trust in Him. Now, that's contrary to everything that our physical senses tell us, it's contrary to everything that the world system that we live in tells us. And over the years, man has gotten further and further away from the understanding of the physical realm as opposed to the spiritual realm. See, when Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden, they understood it instantly how the physical realm operated in, in uh, contrary to the spirit realm. There was no doubt in their minds whatsoever. And I can't help but believe that they taught their children the same thing. They would have wanted the best for their children just like you and I want the best for ours. And so, that, so they would have told their children everything that they could have about God so that they could stay on the right side of things, so to speak, rather than yield to the sin of the world. But over time, generation after generation after generation, it's come to the place where mankind scoffs at the fact that there is a spiritual realm. And you've got to pick and choose your times and situations very carefully to share those things and the people you share them with so that we're not ridiculed by others who don't know the truth. But you were created to be a resident and a citizen of that spiritual realm, that unseen realm. You were made to be a believer in God and His Word. And so, whatever your pivotal point is, it's always going to come down to the same thing for each of us, and that is a choice between what God said and what the circumstances around us say. It's always going to be a choice between what God's Word dictates. Or the dictates of this physical realm. And the heroes of faith. Those in the Bible that are identified as as God's champions. In every case. It comes down to something so simple as what we've discussed. Choosing what God said over what things looked like and how they felt to them. Because we were made in the image and likeness of God. We were born for the unseen realm. We were born to operate from the unseen realm. We were born into this life for the purpose of believing God. And when we do, he sees us through every time. No matter what it looks like. I'm sure Paul, over time, just like the rest of us that gained experience in these things, it's easier for me to believe God now than it was when I first started off, when I look back to the things that I thought I knew about God or was learning about God when I went to Bible school, I'm amazed at how things have changed. I'm amazed that what seemed in the early days, in the early times, as being so difficult to accept to be true, now it's second nature. We gain experience in these things And that experience over time reveals to us that God is faithful to honor his word, to keep his word in every situation. And it becomes easier and easier for us to not be moved by the circumstances, but to hold fast to what his word says and the promises that he's made. And I believe that's the way it's supposed to be and it's supposed to continue. It's certainly the way that it was for Abraham after Abraham has this child of promise Some 13 years maybe 15 years later God challenges him to offer his son Isaac as a sacrifice. Now folks this has always been one of the hardest things for me to accept in all the stories of the Bible because I have children and I know what my children mean to me and for Abraham to be willing to go through and it's You have to really kind of dig past uh, just the surface of these things. But God literally did not tell him to uh, to kill Isaac. He said to offer him as a sacrifice. There's a little bit of a play on words there. And it's not real obvious. But it could be construed as, Abraham, I want you to prepare Isaac as a sacrifice. But no mention was made specifically about carrying through with it. But when I put myself in that situation, how would I have responded? When I look at what Abraham did and how Abraham responded, think about the confidence that he's gained in God over the 25 years until he had the child, and now some 13, 15 years, whatever. Nobody knows for sure exactly how old Isaac was when this took place, but he was certainly old enough to understand what was going on And to help with the carrying of the things up the mountain and so forth. The confidence that Abraham developed in God. And as Hebrews chapter 11 describes it. Accounting that God was able to raise him from the dead. And even receiving him as such. In a figure. In other words it means that Abraham accepted that if if, uh, God wanted him to go through with this thing. Since God's promise was to bless Abraham with children That number as the stars of the sky through Isaac. Then he would have to raise Isaac from the dead. And as far as Abraham was concerned, it was already done. That's some kind of faith. That's not the kind of faith you get from one day or one night with God. That kind of faith can only come through years of walking with the Lord. And proving him faithful. But rather than the end of our faith... That should be the beginning point for us because we've got God on the inside of us. We know things that Abraham didn't know. We have revelation of the word that Abraham didn't have. We know the truth, the fidelity of God's word to such a degree that we can, beginning from where we are, accept God's word to be true no matter what. And those are the things that please him. Hebrews 11:6, you remember, says without faith or apart from faith, it's impossible to please God. Now, the Bible doesn't say that without love it's impossible to please God. It doesn't say without faithfulness it's impossible to please God. It doesn't say of any other characteristic that it's impossible to please God without, but it says it about faith. Without or apart from faith, it's impossible to please God. For they that come to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That simply means, folks, that the pleasing part to God is walking according to what his word says, living by the things that are not seen rather than the things that are seen, to realize and to recognize the goodness of God and his propensity to bless those that serve him. God can't be pleased unless you believe that he wants to reward you. God can't be pleased unless you believe that he is who the Bible says that he is. Now, the the physical realm doesn't tell us much about God. We can't get our information from the physical realm and count it as reliable. That information comes only from the unseen realm, the word of God, that reveals who he is. But every pivotal point comes down to the same thing. Will we trust him or will we not? Will we believe in what he has said what he has told us about himself and about his plans and purposes for our lives? Or will we believe and be limited and hindered by the things that we can see and feel? We were made in the image of God. We having the same spirit of faith as God. We believe and therefore speak. We were made to believe God. Very simply, very specifically, we were made to believe him. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you are our rewarder. Even as you appeared to Abraham in Genesis 15... And said, Fear not, Abraham, I am thy shield and thy exceedingly great reward. Since the blessing of Abraham is ours through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, we can say the same thing about ourselves, Lord that there is no reason to fear, regardless of what we face, regardless of those things and people that might come against us. We have no need to fear. For you are our shield, our protection. And our exceeding great reward. Father, we thank you that you've rewarded us with health. You've rewarded us with abundance. But most importantly, Father, you've rewarded us by revealing yourself to us through your word. We trust in you, Lord. And because we trust in you. We recognize that the light affliction that Paul spoke about. These temporal circumstances. Things that are subject to change. Have to come in line with what God's word says. They have to come in line with our word speaking your word. That have to come to pass. To line up with the things that we say. So we declare ourselves healed. We declare ourselves blessed. We declare ourselves prosperous. We declare ourselves as disciples of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Thank you, Father, for bringing to pass your exceeding great reward for us and unto us. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. You were made to believe God, folks. That's the reason why you're here. It's the reason why all of us here are here. We were made to believe Him. Amen. Say it with me. The Lord is good and His mercy endures forever. Amen. Thank you for being with us.